Osiris. This podcast is in the loop, the Legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at OsirisPod.com. DIY and How Studios presents Deeper Digs in Rock, part of the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project. Music, culture, technology, and rock and roll. Now, on with the show. Hello again, all you diggers. Welcome to Deeper Digs in Rock, a production of the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project. I'm Christian Swain, and I'm behind the mic in San Francisco. As the name suggests, Deeper Digs in Rock goes a little deeper, digging into diverse topics, all connected to rock music in their own unique way. Please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. If you love the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project, and you should because we love you, well, anyhow, you can support the project financially via Patreon or PayPal. Please visit rockandrollarchaeology.com for the link. One dollar a month, friends, just one dollar to keep up the rocking. Okay, business handled, we're good. Today, we sit down with an American original, an icon of the 1960s, the clown prince of the counterculture. Well, let me introduce him in his most famous setting. What we have in mind is breakfast in bed for 400000 Now, it's not going to be steak and eggs or anything. But it's going to be good food, and we're going to get it to you. It's not just the hog farm, either. It's like the Ojai Mountain family and the pranksters and everybody else that has volunteered and put in their time into the free kitchens. In fact, it's everybody. We're all feeding each other. We must be in heaven, man! There is always a little bit of heaven in a disaster area. That clip is from the movie Woodstock, and that was Wavy Gravy, head of security that day, the please force. Along with his hog farm comrades, Wavy helped feed almost a half a million people at Rock and Roll's most famous event. On March 23rd, 2017, we sat down with the one and only at his home in Berkeley for a trip back in time when the counterculture was new and unique, when people would point and stare. Well, not anymore. Now a spry 80 years of age, Wavy Gravy is a solid citizen of Berkeley, maybe even a little staid, a bit mainstream by Berkeley standards. In his adopted hometown, the place they call Berserkly, he is the new normal. A living legend and a Zelig or Forrest Gump character writ large, frankly. It's a lot to take in and a lot to convey. Wavy's story and his personality are just way too big to capture with a single sit-down. So this is not so much an interview or a conversation or even a discussion. Think of it more as Wavy Gravy's latest performance piece. And friends, it was an absolute blast to be a part of. 
Wavy is a master storyteller, and he has been telling many of these stories for decades. Some you may have heard before, and you will nod and perhaps even pick up on the slight variations. Those of you unfamiliar with him will probably go searching sources online to know more afterwards. Know this before you fire up the Google. These wild and woolly adventures, every last one of them is true. So, settle in. Turn it up and let Wavy Gravy spin some yarns for all of us. Climb to tower. I went into space. One, two, one, two, three, four. list this or we'll never get to the interview, Wavy. Einstein, Lenny Bruce, Bob Dylan, Jimi Hendrix, Neil Cassidy, Ken Kesey and the Merry Pranksters, The Hog Farm, Johanna Ra, Jerry Garcia and the Grateful Dead, Woodstock's Please Force, B.B. King, The Seva Foundation and Ram Dass, Larry Brilliant, and Blindness Cures for Developing Nations, Patch Adams, Camp Winter Rainbow, Nobody for President, Ben and Jerry's Ice Cream, Did I Miss Something? No, you got it. Artist, poet, a tornado of talent, the master of the lunatic fringe, uh, perhaps not so lunatic as one might think, mystic, a true American original, maybe a uniquely 20th century American holy man, saint misbehaving himself, ladies and gentlemen, Wavy Gravy. Welcome to the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project, Wavy. You have some gravy in your ear, perhaps a Q-tip, Wavy Gravy, hippie icon, flower geezer, and temple of accumulated error. There, the shorter version, ladies and gentlemen. So, quite a life you've had, Wavy. Still having it. Still having it. 80 years on this uh, on this planet. You've seen a lot of change. Um, my first question is, you know, what does it all mean after 80 years? Just a little question. Just uh, peace, love, and understanding. What's so funny about that? Well, right. Or, you know, all you need is love, right? Elvis sang, uh, uh, not Presley, Elvis sang peace, love, and understanding for me at Woodstock. Was it two or three? <laughs> That's and right, you've been to all three, yes? And, and, and somebody threw a, a beer can at me, and I reached up and grabbed it. I said, don't throw stuff at me, I'm an old guy. <laughs> the crowd went nuts, yay. Lots of fun, lots of fun. So, do you think, you know, living through the 60s, let's face it, that's the, the big seismic change that uh, we're all still living through, wouldn't you say? Do you think that uh, we've circled back to the ideals of the 60 or are we missing the point? Uh, are we headed back to tin soldiers and Trump is coming or can we get back to the garden? I uh, personally have, have no intention of ever leaving the 60s and living in the land of peace, love and understanding and uh, we have a beautiful garden at our ranch uh, 
that you're here right now. We're doing this interview in the Hog Farms urban location in, <laughs> in colorful in Berkeley. Berkeley, the Athens of the West, where our main slice and scene where all the geezers dwell is up north in Laytonville, uh, about three hours, and take a left up Highway 101. That's our street. And uh, I do my children's camp there, and uh, we have a, a dwelling there. When my when my dad passed away, I was able to score an actual house for the first time in my life. Uh, just two rooms, one on top of the other, but still. A house. Uh, when I leave Camp Winter Rainbow, I need to collapse because... Uh, we have uh, 150 kids at a time learning circus and performing arts skills. And uh, I do the morning reading and the evening program and occasionally something in between. Also, we do nine weeks for kids and one week for grown-ups. It's never too late to have a happy childhood. Big fun, and I guarantee it. <laughs> There's only one person uh, who wanted their money back, and he didn't have enough places to smoke cigarettes. And the tinder was dry, and we were happy to see the back of that guy. <laughs> yeah. All right. But I love adult camp. It's just like kids' camp, except uh, you don't have to brush your teeth if you don't feel like it. And uh, you can uh, uh, fornicate if you're not too noisy in the teepee. Very nice. Hmm. I'll have to think about that. I have had a, a niece attend uh, the Can't Win a Rainbow, and uh, uh, she's autistic and didn't didn't really work out. It was she only stayed about a day, but um, you guys were great. Uh, her parents have said that you know the way it all worked out was just fantastic. You know, it was a try. We have and, some uh, autistic kids. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. But we're willing to jump in on just about anything and we have uh, people ask me you know wavy gravy what is your greatest legacy and they expect me to say seva seva a sanskrit word uh, that means service to humankind we work in curable and preventable blindness you know 80 percent of the people in the world that are blind do not need to be blind and can get their sight back what used to be five or ten bucks for an eyeball now it's about 45 but uh, glorious, glorious work. What a thrill to be able oh, to. Yeah. It, the operation takes 15 minutes, bandages come off, and suddenly uh, you're not a mouth without hands anymore, which they kind of refer to you in the third world. You've gotten to go over there and see that operation done, uh, right? In, in India, we uh, are involved in uh, attached at the hip to the, the greatest hospital that does more sight-saving surgeries than anywhere else in the world is in Aravind. And uh, with Dr. G. Vikataswamy, who was in our board, it's kind of like Jones. It's not me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he started out with 12 beds, and now it's 12 hospitals. Wow. He recently passed away. It was so beautiful to see this old Indian gentleman backstage at a Grateful Dead show bopping. And uh, he was one of my heroes. But yes, I got to dress up in doctor clothes and uh, stand next to a cataract uh, being cut out and an inner ocular lens being sewn in. Like you're, if you're a farmer in Tibet and you break your glasses, 
it's days to get to where you can get another pair of, but these uh, you can't break them they're built into your eyes it's, you a, it's an amazing thing which we used to get donated interocular lenses that have passed the date that they like to use them at we grabbed them up but now we're manufacturing them ourselves. they thought we'd be a customer from now to eternity but uh, we make them in India and sell them very cheaply to uh, different countries for just cheap, cheap, cheap but highest of quality it's very exciting to be able to do that and to see uh, somebody see for the first time <laughs> give me a bouncy see <laughs> it's, it's a magnificent thing when those bandages come off and what, what a gift what a gift. And the artists, they, they just love to do this because uh, they know it's for real. We've been doing it forever. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have visual proof. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the results are obvious. And in, in the, the film that Michelle Esrick made about my stormy uh, existence. Saint Misbehaving. Saint Misbehaving, no G. Mm -hmm. And uh, so there I am. Uh, on the roof of the bus uh, uh, going over the Khyber Pass. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, on the way to Kathmandu. That was, what, 1970? We were taking food and medical supplies to Pakistan after the giant flood. Right. Uh, the, the, the theory was uh, that if we were there feeding people and medicating, they, they would have to up the end. My God, there's hippies doing it. We better do it better. Right, the government. the relief the was moving mm. very slow. Mm. And we were in England. We just uh, signed off this uh, film that we hooked on to that uh, Warner Brothers wanted to do a sequel to Woodstock. And uh, good luck with that. But uh, <laughs> uh, it was to drive across the country in a caravan of buses, stopping hither and hither and uh, putting on... Um, concerts we would set up uh, a bunch of tie-dyed teepees and build a stage and then Warner Brothers would fly in their people. Uh, Van Morrison my god we had Joni Mitchell playing uh, around the campfire such good news to hear that uh, she went to Clive Davis's birthday in a wheelchair but nonetheless yeah, she's getting better. It's, yeah. it's just warms the cockles of the old clown's heart to mm -hmm. hear that uh, Joni's on the mend but yeah, this was this was great, and uh, this doc signed on to uh, go on the trip. Named Larry Brilliant and his wife Gerja ended up on our bus. And uh, when the Indo-Pakistani War broke out, we hung a left, distributed the food and medical supplies to Tibetan refugee camps, and we had these rolls of plastic. And the monsoon was coming, so we were able to take this plastic and cover the roofs of these uh, villages of, of uh, Tibetan refugees to keep them dry. And that was such a, an amazing event that we just, oh yeah, and we pressed on. But when we got back to the States, the Karmapa, who is number two to the Dalai Lama, held a special audience uh, for us in San Francisco to honor the fact that we did this. Uh, and I got to give... Uh, the Karmapa a kazoo. <laughs> Which I'm sure he cherishes to this day. Oh my God. And somebody else gave what he liked better was the dental floss. <laughs> you just never know what's going to hit. 
So you've been involved in music uh, pretty much your whole life, uh, certainly starting uh, well, uh, I was the a I was a teenage beatnik to start with. I, I read my poetry in the, uh, in the Gaslight, yes. Uh, uh, first, starting in Boston University, I read about jazz and poetry happening on the West Coast, and I said, fuck a chicken, I know some uh, poets. I'm a poet. I know some musicians. Let's get it together. And so I actually started Jazz and Poetry on the East Coast. We were the first ones to ever do it. What year was that? Mark! <laughs> What's that? What year did I start Jazz and Poetry? It must have been... Like 50, Before my time, I can tell you 56, that. 56, maybe, okay. like that. Mm-hmm. Is that right? I, I was in Yeah, I was in, I was in BU. So you were still and there. And then... Uh, the the uh, we had this beautiful campus on uh, Saint Basil Street with gargoyles and Martha Graham taught dance and oh my God we used to go on the roof and get loaded and then take Martha's class <laughs> it was wonderful times and then uh, they wanted to take our lovely campus and move it over to the main campus because they were they discovered we weren't doing enough social studies. Uh, They were flying in the top directors of the time, like Jose Quintero, Daniel Mann. We had the Admiral Theater where we would do plays like Murder in the Cathedral. And uh, the teachers uh, uh, were hired uh, because of the McCarthy blackball. Oh, yeah. And they couldn't work. Mm -hmm. But the blackball was over. And they just said, we're out of here. And they went uh, to New York City where they could work again mm-hmm. and took me with them. I was the, the yeah. token, and it was given a full scholarship to the, to the neighborhood playhouse. So I began working in coffee houses, reading my poems, and eventually landing in the gaslight where I never left. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. still there in some ways. I just did a huge interview with some guy in Holland writing about the gaslight. Oh, in the uh, deep subject on on yeah. the gaslight in particular. So yeah, and, and you, did, you did that thing at the at the Kate Wolf Festival with Tom Paxton on the gaslight. Yeah, yeah. We, we reminisced. Tom was a roommate of mine, uh, along with I some other guy when, who wore when leather jackets. Oh, exactly. Right? <laughs> when when Dylan first came into the gaslight, he was wearing Woody Guthrie's underwear. I am not making this up. He, uh, when he was in the uh, hospital in Long Island... Yeah, and Bob, Bob used to go see him. Yeah. used to go see him a lot, and he snatched a pair. It wasn't on the outside. It was in the interior. And I, well, thank I God for that. And he told me, but that's before when I got to know him better. But when he just walked in, out of nowhere, we were doing a hootenanny, and Bob says, Hey, hey, can I go on? And I grabbed the mic. I says, Here he is, a legend in his lifetime. What's your name, kid? <laughs> And we ended up sharing that room upstairs from the gaslight, and Hard Rain's Gonna Fall was written on my typewriter. Bruce Springsteen says to me not that long ago, have you still got that typewriter? <laughs> yeah, I bet he wants it. <laughs> it was uh, actually burned up in a, a Beacons fire. I had storage in the Beacons, uh, 
And it went ablaze along with Lenny Bruce's couch that I really missed. It was a big purple couch. Lenny Bruce was even my manager for about an hour and a half. Yeah. And then he got in big trouble, so I had to go out to the coast. And next thing you know, I'm recruiting typists to type up all the testimonies and the stuff that the detective named Grogan would uh, tape people through his uh, overcoat. And Lenny said, you hear that? Do you... <laughs> That's very important. It was really tragic after a while. It was one thing where they were arresting him for saying Eleanor Roosevelt's tits, but they began to also arrest the club owners. And that's when it, it Lenny things got really tough for Lenny. Yeah. He well. he had no more money. He, yeah. the, he couldn't work anymore. It was so sad. And he was the wildest, greatest. The only thing I can think to compare to him are the Jonathan Winters Maybe and Robin Richard Williams. Pryor. Oh, Richard and, Pryor. And, well, Robin, sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was the, the father the, of these guys. Who had those Definitely. loose heads, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The loose wig, as we call it, <laughs> in the, back in the day, and Al Jasbo Collins and uh, Lord B Richard Buckley. Mm -hmm. The first event that uh, my wife and I ever did Jahanara. Yeah. Yes, uh, Jahanara. I met in a in a restaurant on Sunset Boulevard called the Fred C. Dobbs after Humphrey Bogart, Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Nobody ever put anything over on Fred C. Dobbs, and she put peanuts in my hamburger, and I fell in love. Ah. Oh. And we would go down the street to Ciro's and dance to the birds till dawn. It was so wonderful. Was she, in, was she an actress before or after you? Then? She was uh, before. She was up for her own series when uh, we, the mechanics gave us a bus and then we got this gig uh, uh, being extras in this movie called Skidoo, starring Jackie Gleason and Carol Channing and Groucho Marx played God and we were the hippies and that the rode out to the, the boat and helped us hippies take over the boat and save the day. Was that before the hog farm or No, after? this was this was the, the hog farm. So from uh, there they brought you guys previous. in. Okay, right. how the hog farm came to be. Uh, it seems like it was almost yesterday <laughs> that uh, my wife and I were living in a, a simple one room cabin in Sunland, California, just about 45 minutes on the Golden State Freeway from Hollywood. And uh, we got a call from the pranksters wanting us to pose with them at this gas station with the bus further. Yeah, it was Ken Babs the, who called you, right? For the, yeah. It was Babs for the cover of Life magazine. They were doing a piece on Psychedelica. And uh, we had just uh, come out of the other end of the Watts acid test. Where, uh, we had the, where I gave the instructions the eve that LSD became illegal. Everybody pay attention. The Kool-Aid on the right is for the kids. The Kool-Aid on the left is the electric Kool-Aid. Nudge, nudge. You know what I mean? Now let's review. For the kids, electric. 
And I went over it about 12 times. But people would come out of that warehouse uh, uh, dancing for three hours to the Grateful Dead, and they'd just grab something wet. And wet was a couple hundred micrograms of swallow, and the whole place started melting down. And that's when this chick started freaking out and going, Who cares? Who cares? And uh, <laughs> Ken Babs uh, was at house. He took the best microphone in existence and stuffed it down her craw and into everybody's DNA. Who cares? And I crawled to him. Like I said, some sister is freaked out and we need to glue her together and I'll meet you where she is. And I set out in my quest to find this dear uh, young lady who has gone amok and uh, finally in a little side room there she was and about 14 people around her, some of which I recognized and who cares? We joined hands. She stopped screaming. She turned into jewels and light. We turned into jewels and light. And that's when I passed the acid test. Uh, when the grit is slamming into the knit and you're sinking, but you reach down to help somebody who is sinking worse than you are, that's when everybody gets high, and you don't even need LSD to do that. So that's when I passed that. Now, like I said, we were looking for a little respite. We grabbed a cabin in the woods when we got the call from Babs uh, to meet at this gas station for the cover of Life magazine, which was the biggest rag on the planet at that moment. Oh, so yeah. uh, we were honored to be part of it. Mm -hmm. We drove in and we're posing. And while we're posing for the cover, Babs sneaks over, gets behind further, and takes off to join Keezy, who was on the lam in Mexico. So suddenly, my wife and I in our one-bedroom cabin have 35 house guests. The landlord comes by and says, you may not have 37 people living in one room. You are evicted. And once again, in the land of kitchen synchronicity, old neighbor Bud Pelsu come by and said, old Saul up on the mountain had a stroke. They need somebody to slop them hogs. And so it came to pass that we were given a mountaintop rent-free if we would tend to 50 hogs the size of Davenport's. Now, on Saturdays, we would work at the Shrine Auditorium. We had a light show called The Single-Winged Turquoise Bird, and I would run energy games, and it was Pinnacle Productions, and they would have the Rolling Stones, the Airplane, the Dead, you name it, all the major bands, and I would do stuff with them on a Saturday. Then Sunday was Hog Farm Sunday. Every Sunday, a different theme, like uh, Kite Sunday, and everybody got kites, and I remember there was no wind. Everybody said, oh, my God, <laughs> until uh, the, the, the sunset, and then the thermals kicked in, and you could see the kites go up, or you, you couldn't tell if somebody was actually flying a kite or putting you on, but then we attached little flashlights to the kites. It was good. Or we had Mud Sunday in ports, so everybody slid around. Who can slide in the mud the farthest? Like that. Or we had a, a country fair with pie-eating contests and who can stay under the water. All different themes every every Sunday. And then um, Christmas, the mechanics uh, in the family chipped in and bought us a bus, school bus. Uh, I think we had a white 
and painted it up. And then along came Otto Preminger and Skidoo, and we went on the road. And we would do the Hog Farm and Friends in open celebration. And uh, we would hit a campus and just fall asleep on the football field with the buses. Eventually, some students start beating on the side. When's this thing going to start? And we say, hey, grab a wrench. <laughs> and we'd start to put up these uh, geodesic domes, which we would clip on uh, triangles to turn them into uh, stuff that we could project on when it got to be dark. Or we'd have uh, 200 people working on a giant painting and, and with temper paints. Or we'd have uh, these inflatable things where we had a hot glue gun that would seal up plastic and then we'd blow it up with a fan and the thing would blow up and you could crawl around on side and we'd project on that and uh, there were always uh, lots of microphones that people could talk in and the deal was we were not the acid test we did not distribute psychotropics but you could arrive with your own head and we set up a pallet for expansion and that's what we did is we helped uh, the people that attended our fracas to uh, expand their consciousness and have big fun. And we're traveling from sea to shining sea. Colleges, uh, we would be sponsored by the SDS and the Interfraternity Council. Uh, and students we, for a Democratic Society, right? We, yeah. Yes, and uh, it was the only thing that they would ever agree on was our show. <laughs> and the, in the middle of this tour from Sea to Shining Sea, we get this call of inquiry. Would, would we uh, involve ourselves in a uh, large concert in New York State? called the Aquarian Exhibition. Well, why not? It was, uh, and they would fly us all in, and and uh, we were set up to do fire trails and fire pits, and I talked them into allowing us to do a free kitchen. And we recruited not only hog farmers, but the, the best of all the hippies in New Mexico. And there was 85 of us and 15 Indians on our own American Airlines Astrojet, uh, going to Woodstock, uh, landing at Kennedy, and suddenly there were the all these there, cameras. Right? Oh my God, there was, uh, oh you guys, uh, you know, you're doing the security. I said, my God, they made us the cops. I said, <laughs> well, uh, do you feel secure? The guy said, yeah. I said, we'll see, it's working already. Hey, come on, what are you gonna use for crowd control? And I said, uh, cream pies and seltzer bottles, and they all wrote it down. Now, that did not happen until uh, we did the uh, Texas Pop Festival, and this guy showed up with a case of Ready Whip and a bunch of pie shells. I said, well, we know how to do Here are your that. armaments. And right. we're just uh, <laughs> going for laughing gas. <laughs> In the Ready Whip, you know, if you're real careful, yeah. on the nozzle, you're getting straight laughing gas. Yeah, yeah nitrous oxide, right. Then right, right. Janice hit this most amazing note, and my finger slipped, and I blasted five pounds of whipped cream into my <laughs> cerebral cortex. It's running out my nose, and just so they come. And there he is, the voice of Woodstock. <laughs> that was a good one. Meanwhile, back in uh, back in White Lake or Bethel, it's debated. Bethel, yeah, yeah. And uh, we uh, Yasgur's farm. We, we, can, uh, we can all agree on that. 
decide we create the please force. That's what I wanted to ask you. And I'm the please chief along with Tom Law, who also did the uh, yoga instructions, where everybody learned to do yoga. And uh, I don't think we ever arrested anybody, <laughs> but uh, we deputized uh, anybody that we could bump into. We had these uh, armbands with a flying pig on the armband that we stenciled, red armbands. And uh, whenever we see anybody acting well in this multitude, we give them 10 and let them pass them out until at the end of the festival there were an amazing amount of people as part of the security team, the please force. You don't have any of the armbands left, do you? I think I have one up in Laytonville. Oh, I'd like to see that one day. Oh. Let me let me ask you. So you were you were at Woodstock. Everybody knows that you know uh, that your famous uh, what we have in mind is breakfast in bed for four hundred. Do you know that was chosen by Entertainment Weekly as one of the top entertainment lines of the twentieth century? Yes, I do. Yeah, and it just popped out of the top of my head. It wasn't anything I wrote down and you could say, oh, just I'll drop that one in. No, it just spewed from whatever it is that whirls around inside my cerebral cortex. So that was the good side, the Please Force Woodstock. Did you the, attend the Altamont? We got to... Oh, yeah. Jesus. Because <laughs> uh, I, I want to know why, no, why didn't that work? Well, to start with... Uh, the security? No, they had to... They were forced to move from one event to the other. Who was involved in the moving was the Hells Angels. They were fine at the one place, but then they had to double up their speed intake to go over to the other place. To the speed. So they'd been up for like five or six days on enormous amounts of speed. And they were, you know, a rather problem, crispy. A problem to start with. Uh, and uh, after th- this particular episode, they were off the hook, nuts, and uh, stark crazed and uh, uncontrollable. So you attended the uh, the event. My wife and I, uh, we we rode out there with Stuart Brand and George Walker's bus, and uh, we got we wanted to help out somehow. So we were working in backstage medical. When the Maisley brothers wanted us to turn out the lights because it was reflecting on their camera lenses. And uh, we had a little argument about that. Uh, <laughs> when we were doing this cross-country medicine ball caravan, mm-hmm. we pulled into... We were being followed by the nefarious Thomas King Facade, the publisher of High Times magazine. Oh, yeah. And he had a uh, hearse with a Viet Cong flag on the side and occasionally a four-piece poster bed on the roof. When we drove into Antioch College, Yellow Springs, Ohio, he had uh, this enormous turret to a B-29. Now, we were asked to do a uh, music festival in San Luis Obispo, and I thought, instead of Hell's Angels, a moat full of jello. <laughs> would be better. And so I communicated, I'm not kidding, with the uh, General Foods, uh, Wavy Gravy, uh, ch- Chief of Police at Woodstock, retired, and with my plot of using Jell-O instead of Hell's Angels, and they mailed me about 
40 cases of cherry jello. The little packages? And then, yeah, but cases of it. And uh, the festival was called off. The mothers and fathers of the town could not handle all the hippies. So we threw the uh, cherry jello in the possum belly of the bus where people used to put their luggage back when it was a greyhound. So uh, we pull into Yellow Springs, Ohio. Here's Thomas King facade with a turret to a B-29, which resemble a giant plastic translucent dessert dish, <laughs> screaming for cherry jello. So we threw all the cherry jello into this thing on the stage. It was, you know, from here to there and uh, gorgeously shimmering in the sunrise. And then the sun beat down on it, and it started to turn into soup. Oh, Ooh, exactly what to do. Cool. What's, dry ice! <laughs> oh, yes. Dry ice! We cool. bought up all the dry ice in 20 months, <laughs> threw it in there, and it regelled. Not only did it regello, it became geothermal. And these gaseous bubbles would appear on the bottom and slowly rise up and announce themselves bloop. Like a big giant lava lamp. Bloop. So I'm miking the bubbles. Bloop! (laughs) Bloop! And the audience gets into it. Bloop! Bloop! And these hippies made up my favorite uh, announcement of the entire anti-war movement. Big banner. World peace... Through smoking jello. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, I gotta catch my breath after that one. That's a good one. Yeah. Let's. Uh, let, we could go on forever, but forever. Uh, I'll, I'll just. I'll. I'll leave it at, at, at this one here. Okay. Because it involves one of yeah, our we favorites. Get lunch too. Yes. BB <laughs> King, who gave you oh, your famous oh, moniker. Okay. It seems like it was almost yesterday. <laughs> Once again. <laughs> There we were in Louisville, Texas, doing the Texas Pop Festival. And uh, the main concert was in a speedway. The free stage and the camping was on Lake Dallas, maybe eight, nine miles away. We had built the stage and the mics and what have you. And uh, first of all, the Job's daughters couldn't handle the skinny dipping. Everybody wanted a skinny dip because they did it at Woodstock. So <laughs> I had to, uh, first of all, borrow the chief of police's boat and get a boat swim and drive around Lake Dallas uh, with a, a May West on and my Tom Mix cowboy hat. And I'd jump in the water and say, Ahoy, Nuno! <laughs> the Job Stories have gone nuts. If you want to stay high, you got to put your pants on. Can you dig it? I guess so. <laughs> well, swim over there and tell that other guy. And I'm going all the way across. Ahoy, Nuno! Ahoy, Nuno! Ahoy, Nuno! Until the sun is setting a lazy peach. My throat is like raw hamburger, but I'm smug. I said, well, Peter... It looks like we've done it. And yeah, here comes the naked water ski with a heart on. Follow that son of a bitch. <laughs> Around the lake till we ran out of gas. Walked back to the free stage. Fell down, collapsed. And it's, uh, let's hear it for Kunga Drummer number 25. And then suddenly the announcement came over the PA. B.B. King is here with his bus. He's going to play for free. Could we clear the stage, please? And I looked around. There was nobody there but me. (laughs) 
and I'm getting up real slow before one of my multitude of back surgeries. And I start to lift up, and suddenly, there is B.B. King. He looks down, he says, you wavy gravy? I said, what? <laughs> well, yes, sir. <laughs> well, wavy gravy, I could work around you. And he leans me up against his amplifier, takes out Lucille, and from out of the wings comes Johnny Winter. And the two of them are jamming till sunrise. And it was everybody's reward for picking up the trash and putting on their pants. <laughs> and a tiny tip of Texas went to heaven. <laughs> Wavy, thanks very much for sure. uh, sitting down with us. Look, it's John. So, I guess it's lunchtime. Lunchtime! <laughs> of sunshine and my teeth were pink all the So yeah, that is just a taste of Wavy Gravy. This could have gone on forever, and I have a feeling we will sit down with St. Misbehaven again. In the background, you heard my partner in crime, Peter Ferrioli. Peter and I were like a couple of kids on the floor, eyes wide, hanging on every word. And we want to thank Wavy's manager, Mark Margolis, for setting up our time together. My big takeaway, and truly, there was a lot to take away. What I got from every story and detour, everything, everything this man has done for the last 80 years is in unselfish, loving service to other human beings. Sure, he's had a good time doing it, but look at all that he is famous for. Starting on that weekend on Yasgur's farm in 1969, and you will see a man with his arms open wide to the world ready to share his everything. He is the walking, talking, hippie ideal. And from my perspective, that is nothing but beautiful and inspiring. It was an absolute hoot and an honor to sit with him. Here's to another 80 years worth of wavy gravy stories and adventures. I'm Christian Swain, and this is Deeper Digs in Rock, a production of the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project. Thanks for stopping by. Be kind, be well, have fun. In other words, be like Wavy Gravy. Oh, and keep up the rockin'. See you next time. We shall overcome. We shall overcome. We shall.
looking for ways to help right the wrongs of social injustice? Oxfam America works with people in more than 90 countries to save lives, develop long-term solutions to poverty, and campaign for social change. And we do it with the help of our friends in the music world. The Beatles were Oxfam supporters back in the day. So were the Stones. And through the years, musicians and music fans have helped Oxfam push hard to work for a just world without poverty. Folks like Radiohead, Coldplay, Pearl Jam, DJ Shadow, and many, many more have encouraged their fans to join the effort. You can too. Go to OxfamAmerica.org to learn how you can help. Deeper Digs in Rock, produced and hosted by Christian Swain. All sound design and incidental music by Busy Signal Studios. All quotes performed by actors unless noted. Playlists can be found at iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Please purchase these great and important tracks. All songs, clips, and references can be found on our show notes. Please visit rnrap.com for more information. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.